chapter 14 of Second Chronicles. So, in Second Chronicles, we have... Um, In 2 Chronicles 14, so um, the history so far, starting from David, who was established of king of Israel, who, through whom the line of the Messiah uh, would come, David would come. We first have David, David, then we have Solomon, they have Rehoboam, then we have this man named Abijah, who we studied last week, and then today we have a man called Asa, who's the son of Abijah. Now, Abijah, oftentimes, on, after a, a, a message on Sunday, I'll think, ugh, I missed something. Um, but rarely will I ever go back to it, just because I don't feel like the Spirit does that. But on Tuesday, the Lord gives me more liberty to do that kind of thing. Uh, so after last Tuesday, to speaking about Abijah. If you remember last week, Abijah, who was the, was the grandson of Solomon, he's the son of a guy named Rehoboam, who was not a good king, but he had a, a great, great victory, a tremendous victory, where Jeroboam in the, in the north uh, outnumbered him. Uh, outnumbered him. What was it again? By... Uh, two to one, um, and it says that in verse 14, what was the number, what was the number again? Oh yeah, verse three says, so Judah, remember the kingdom by now has been split in half, it was split in half after Solomon. Verse 3, Judah and Benjamin in the south, which is sort of the Lord preserving his kingdom. Uh, There's just two in the south, Judah and Benjamin. The other ten tribes are are in the north. And the new king, who became a wicked king, his name was Jeroboam, uh, it says in verse 3, Jeroboam had 800,000 men. Uh, ready for war. Abijah in the south uh, only had 400,000. Abijah goes out um, to battle and uh, in verse 14 realizes he's surrounded, he's been ambushed, he's doomed. And I thought about this for several days after the message last Tuesday, in verse 14, it says, they, but they cried out to the Lord and the priests sounded the trumpets, meaning they just took faith in the Lord. The soldiers did. They cried out to him. And they wound up winning, even though they were outnumbered two to one. What Second Chronicles 13 does not say was that Abijah was a, a wicked king. Uh, if you compare First Kings, and I, I recommend that you try to when you're reading, kind of like when you read the book of Mark or the book of Luke or the book of Matthew or John, it's very, 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 very good to try to study the other three, three books 
as well. But second thing, same thing in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles that you know, compare. In First Kings uh, chapter fourteen, it's it's uh, really specific that um, Abijah. was a wicked king. Uh, it says here in verse 3 of chapter 15 of 1 Kings that he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. His heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, like the heart of David. Uh, it doesn't say that for whatever reason in, uh, in uh, 2 Chronicles 13. It doesn't say he was a good king either just doesn't mention that he was wicked. But the thing that I was reflecting on after the sermon last week is, and kind of kicking myself, that God, the Lord, because he loves his people, and this, is, this has taken place in the United States, even when there may be a wicked president, <laughs> he'll still have a revival blow through our country. We've had a series of revivals for the last... 300 years and sometimes the leadership of the country uh, is wicked but God sees the heart of the people and here was a people here now, of course he's also he is a descendant of David eventually uh, Jesus is going to be uh, born through this line but still there's uh, there are times in the in the south where the whole country is is being wicked, and so God just judges them, and they are defeated by their enemies. But here, uh, you know, an army of 800,000, it says, for the sa- really, for the sake of the people, even though the king was wicked, he gave them a great victory. He, and from time to time, up in the north, even though there was never a good king, there's also victories as well, just so the Lord is sort of reminding them, look, there is a God. Why don't you turn to him? Why don't you repent? Uh, but um, it's just, it, it is the mercy of God. And I, I do feel like there is reason to believe that the people themselves, there was in this army, um, there were righteous people who feared God. Because in Second Chronicles 14, again, they were, they were um, ambushed, but it says they cried out to the Lord. There's about a thousand other things they could have done. They could have started, uh, I don't know, gotten their tarot cards out or, or their fortune tellers out or started, uh, you know, their lucky um, rabbit foots or whatever charms that they had. They didn't do that. As they cried out to the Lord. So even though there was a wicked king at the time, God had mercy on them. It says in verse 1 of chapter 14, So Abijah rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa, his son, reigned in his place. In his days, the land was quiet for ten years. Asa did what was good and right in the sight of the Lord, for he removed the altars of the foreign gods and the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. 
He also removed the high places and the incense altars from the cities of Judah, and the kingdom was quiet under him. And he built four to five cities in Judah, for the land had rest. He had no war in those years because the Lord had given him rest. So this is a wonderful thing here because um, the kings since David had all gone wicked, including Solomon. Solomon ended as wicked as most any king in the south. He started out well, but he ended bad. It appears that he was even sacrificing his own children to, to the gods, foreign gods, just foreign women, uh, turned him um, to other gods. Rehoboam, also evil king. Abijah, evil king. But here comes a good king. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, Asa, a good king. And I think it's important to remember that just because you may have had parents who were, at least from the standard of the Bible, wicked people, it doesn't matter. Jesus Christ will break the cycle. One of the things that I, um, one of the verses that I quote all the time in counseling, because I'm telling you, I just get, I get folks in counseling and they just try to convince me I'm different. My upbringing is, was such a mess. I'm different. And therefore, yeah, I'm in rebellion, but I'm different. I have to stay in rebellion. I have to stay in my sin because my dad did this and my mom did this. And I always quote the same verse, usually. Galatians chapter 3. We'll be in it eventually on, t- on, um, on Sunday morning, maybe a year from now. You know, we go real slow on Sunday. Just kidding. No one laughed. You guys really thought maybe I was serious? Wow. Um, it says in verse 13 of Galatians 3, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And one of the curses was the sin of the sin of the fathers will carry on to the third and fourth generation. I mean, it'll just continue. But if I've seen it once, I've seen it a thousand times. Someone has wicked parents. That someone will give their life to Jesus Christ, surrender their life to him, and boom, the cycle is broken. It's broken. You don't have to do pornography because your parents did. You don't have to have many, many mistresses or men in your life because your mother or father did. You don't have to be a drunk. You don't have to be a drug addict. You don't have to um, be married to your career just because your, your dad was like that. Christ breaks the cycle. It's, it's one of my favorite verses to use in counseling because so oftentimes people try to convince me that they're different. And, any t- it, 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 and if you're one of those people, I'm telling you, you're in a dangerous place saying, well, I'm, there's something different about me. And you don't understand. And, and, and they're always trying to look around and compare themselves to people in the church. They don't know, like I know, everything, issues that people in the church have that they've overcome. And they're just assuming everyone came out of their mother's womb with a Bible in their hand. Not true. Not even remotely close to being true. So many great, wonderful stories in our church, Calvary Chapel City, in, in the city of Jesus Christ breaking the cycle of sin. And here you have this guy. We don't know much. 
We don't really know why um, Asa did this. Again, uh, the study of the kings is very interesting because you have good kings that beget good kings, meaning um, you, you, you have Asa, who was a good king, and his son Jehoshaphat was a good king. You have plenty of examples of bad kings that beget bad kings. For example, Rehoboam, we just saw, and his son Abijah, and many more. We have bad kings beget good kings, like Abijah here, and uh, Abijah here, uh, uh, and his, his son Asa. And then what's the last one? Is that, is that, is that, is that just three possibilities? Good, 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 bad, bad, good, and then bad, bad. Did I cover all of them? But anyway, you have all of them. You have all of them in the line of kings. But the one you must choose as a born-again Christian is regardless of what your parents were were like. You need to remember that in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And you can walk with the Lord. It says in verse 3, He removed the altars of the foreign gods and the high places. He broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images. And, and he commanded Judah to seek the Lord. Uh, it, it says in chapter 15 that one of the things that he did also um, was he removed his uh, his mother from being the queen mother. She was like this woman who was a glorified witch. You know, she was the queen mother. Um, and he removed her. And so I, I think what's really important to understand is just because he's king, don't think there wasn't a ton of pressure on this guy just to stick with the status quo. I guarantee you that there were many people who were really, really, really mad at what he was doing, ripping down the uh, high places with, uh, where there were sacred pillars and wooden images, because it's all that stuff, remember, it's all, there's always money involved. There's always priests and people like that who are making money off of the people. And um, it, just, it just took a lot, of, a lot of courage to do what he to do what he did. Now, the other thing I love, he, he, he says he commanded Judah to seek the Lord God. In other words, it wasn't just, it, it, it wasn't just, you know, getting rid of, you know, it says that even King Saul was a wicked, by the time, who was a wicked king for most of his reign, not at the beginning, he was a good king at the very beginning, but at the, most of his reign he was a bad king. Well, he got, said he got rid of all the witches and the witchcraft in the land, but that was just religion. There's plenty of places around the world where they uh, prohibit drunkenness. I think in Muslim countries, they do a lot better than, the, than our country than in, in making sure there's not drunkenness throughout the land. Is there some? Yeah, but nothing compared to what we do. Eliminating witchcraft. Eliminate, but, but, then, but this is different. He's telling them, don't, 
not, it's not just about getting rid of these religious, this religious stuff like pagan altars. It's seek God. Seek the Lord. And how many times have I gone over this in the last two or three months? In First Chronicles 28, we saw three things, right? David tells Solomon, do these three things and you'll do well. He says, know the Lord, serve the Lord, and seek the Lord. And what did Solomon do? He did the first two. He knew a lot about the Lord, wrote all those Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. He served the Lord his whole life. He was the king. The king was, a, a, he was, a, he was head of a theocracy. He was a religious king, but he didn't do number three. He didn't seek the Lord. He didn't go before the Lord every day and say, okay, Lord, I'm only here because of your goodness, because you're great. I want to serve you today, Lord. Show me what is in my heart that's going to hinder me from doing that. That's what seeking the Lord is. That's really different. Remember again, at the risk of being um, repetitive, that famous verse um, in 2 Chronicles, um, which is repeated over and over again, if my people who are called by my name will, number one, humble themselves, number two, pray, number three, seek, and number seek my face, and number four, um, turn from their wicked ways. So praying and seeking are two different things. Seeking is really ripping open your heart and saying, Lord, here am I. Do business with me. Root out what's in my heart. It says um, of Asa, it says, um, he, he commanded Judah to seek the Lord, God of their fathers, and to observe the law and commandment. He removed the high places. By the way, if you look at 1 Kings, talk about Asa, it says at the beginning of his reigns, it says the high places were not removed. Here it says they were removed. But at the end of chapter 15, it also says they were not removed from Israel, meaning the north. So apparently, that apparent inconsistency with First Kings is that they were not removed. They were still in the north. They were not removed up there. And we'll see from the life of Asa, he grows into such a righteous, powerful king that he actually is able to go up into the northern ten tribes and, and expand his, his influence there. So before anyone tries to convince you there are inconsistencies, make sure you do your homework um, because there are legitimate explanations for, uh, for, for what people call inconsistencies in the Bible. It says here that... Uh, it says in verse 6, he says, He built fortified cities in, the, in Judah, for the land had rest. He had no war in those years, because the Lord had given him rest. So he had peace. There was peace in the land after he cut down all those images. You know what the Bible says in Isaiah 48, 22? 
It says, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. In Isaiah 57, verse 21, it says the same thing. There's no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Until you remove and cast out idols out of your life, and only God can tell you what they are after you seek him, you're not going to have peace. There's no peace for a man or woman who keeps idols in their life. So Asa and the land of Israel was given peace. They were given joy. You should be seeking your peace and your joy every single day. If it's gone, you should be crying out to God, why is it gone? What's wrong with me? He'll tell you. He'll lead you to a place of peace. The Bible says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me, pursue me all the days of my life. God will pursue you with mercy. And so it says in verse 7, so the Lord had given him rest. And so therefore he said to Judah, let us build the cities and make walls around them, the towers, gates, and bars. While the land is yet before us, because we have sought the Lord our God. There's that word again. They sought the Lord our God. We have sought him, and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah who carried shields and spears, and from Benjamin, 200. And 80,000 men who carried shields and drew bows, all these were mighty men of valor. So note, like we saw with King David, <clears throat> the first thing he did was to establish the nation spiritually, right? He first went out and cut down all the pagan altars and commanded that the Israel seek God. And then the Lord gave him rest, and then he started building up and, um, the country. And again, it says in verse 7, making walls, towers, gates, bars, um, while the land is yet before us, because we have sought the Lord, and he has given us rest. So, you know, the principle here, the application here, if there's a time of rest in your life where the enemies are not attacking you, and I smile a little because uh, ministry can be just one attack after another every day for 365 days. But I have heard that uh, there are seasons where, um, where the devil uh, takes a rest for a while. You should ask yourself, wow, everything is, God has just prospered me so, so greatly what should I be doing with my life now to strengthen it? To strengthen it. My wife, I don't want to embarrass her. Oh, I can't. She's not here. But um, I don't know how much of a season of rest she's been in because, again, you know, the pastor and his wife, there's 
there's often almost always battles, but she's taken the last year and a half to, to, to take different courses in biblical counseling. Now, I thought she didn't need it, but she has spent many, many, many hours reading books and taking these classes. One of them was a graduate level class, and it's, it's really built up. She was recently counseling someone, and she was just like, wow. This has really helped sharpen my skills. So just if you're in a time where the Lord has just blessed you, there's a time of rest in your life, Lord, how can I be used? Rather, how can I build myself up in this time? Because rest assured, the big battle is coming. And that's what happens with Asa. Verse 9, the mother of all battles. Then Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of one million men and 300 chariots. And he came to Marasha. So there's the big battle. So he, was, he had been preparing himself. He had sought the Lord. I have no doubt that the, he had sought the Lord. I have no doubt the Lord said, build up an army. Make the cities, put strongholds in the cities, put bars in the gates. So this guy comes against him with a million men. Verse 10, so Asa went out against him, and they set the troops of battle in array at the valley of Savatha at Marisha. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help whether with many or with those who have no power, help us, Lord, O Lord our God, for we rest on you, and in your name we go out against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. The study that we're doing on Sunday morning is just, it's helping my own prayer life just because the whole concept of grace is Jesus plus nothing, that the blood was applied by the Holy Spirit to our life the moment we asked Jesus in our life and the Holy Spirit came in carrying the blood and we became blameless before God in love, Ephesians chapter 1. I believe that's verse 4. And so it says as a result of that, we can come before God and ask Him and, 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 and in His name, in the name of Jesus, we can come to Him and ask Him to fight our battles. In the book of John says this, Jesus, not too long before he was, uh, not too long before he was uh, crucified, he says, most assuredly I say to you, John 16, 23, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. 
Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Going to the Father in the name of Jesus. Again, it says here, Asa cried out to the Lord. He said, O Lord our God, for we rest in you, and in your name we go out against this multitude. And when you're in a trial, whatever it is, if you're coming against people that seem to, or, or people are coming against you, I don't know, they're attacking you at work or something, and you've looked and you haven't seen, you've done anything wrong. You're there in the name of Jesus. Not that you're perfect, but you're in his name. And the Bible says that God will fight for you. He will fight for you. The victory is God's business. I was parallel parking a couple days ago in Fenway. And I wasn't in my car. I was in my daughter's, driving my daughter's car. And I bumped the car in back of me. Not that hard. But I went back, and there's literally half the bumper was cracked. And a couple people who will remain nameless said, Dad, there's no way that was you. There's absolutely no way you did that. And it wasn't a new car. <laughs> this thing was kind of banged up. And we got in the car and went home, but the Lord just smote my heart. And I went back and I put, my, I put my, a note on the car. And I just said to the Lord, Lord you got to fight this battle for me. If this person, if, this, if I really didn't do this, you got to fight my battle. And um, sure enough, I got a call. <laughs> and uh, I just told the Lord, you know, the, and the gentleman, because the thing that I thought of, you know, in the, in the event it really was me, and I have someone crying out, for justice, Lord, they're not crying to the Lord, but they're like, I can't believe someone left my car and they did this and they didn't leave a note. The Bible says when people cry out for justice, the Lord hears, and I don't want to be the person that God is crying, someone's crying out for justice again. So the Lord's going the, the to vindicate me and and I just said to myself, you know, if, if the person is going to come back to me for money and it really wasn't me, I'm going, it'll be an offering to the Lord. I'm offering to the Lord. I'm giving an offering to God. The Lord, right, but, but, but nevertheless, what the Lord told me is, look, let me fight your battle. So he's going to fight it. Verse 12, so the Lord struck the Ethiopian before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people who were with him pursued them to Gerar. So the Ethiopians were overthrown, and they could not recover 
for they were broken before the Lord and his army, and they carried away very much spoil. Then they, all, then they defeated all the cities around Gerar, for the fear of the Lord came upon them, and they plundered all the cities, for there was exceedingly much spoil in them. They also attacked the livestock enclosures and carried off sheep and camels in abundance and returned in Jerusalem. Returned to Jerusalem. Chapter 15, now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa. So apparently they're coming back from the Bible. Um, And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, there's that um, word again, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Oh man, oh woman, do we need this after we've had some kind of victory in our life. We need the Spirit of God saying, be careful. Now, at the very end of his life, Asa is going to, he, he, he is going to, I don't know if you call it a backslide. I guess you could. He, it's nothing like Solomon. But, it, you know, he, he, he definitely um, eventually stops seeking the Lord in such a way that his heart was hardened when a prophet came to him and rebuked him with something. And whenever the Lord warns you, it's, 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 and he will, if you're listening, he, if you're seeking him, he will. You've got to take it really seriously. So at a time of great victory, he's, he's um, seeking, um, um, after, uh, rather, um, at a time of great victory, a prophet comes to him and, and rebukes him. In verse 4 it says, But when in their trouble they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found by them. And in those, now he's referring now to the book of Judges. But in those days there was no peace to the one who went out, nor to the one who came in, but great turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the land. So what he's talking about here is the cycle in the book of Judges was just one generation after another continuously for 400 years backslid. I mean, you know, from time to time a judge would come in and save them, but it wouldn't be long. They just backslid anyway. And he's, he's calling him back. Them, he's calling Asa and he's saying, Asa, remember the time of the judges. Don't think you are beyond backsliding. In 1 Corinthians I think it's I think it's 10. It's basically for Christians we are told the we're told the very same thing in 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 1 Corinthians it's like look the Old Testament uh, you you got to be careful in 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 chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians um t- They're there for an example for you. All those times in the Old Testament, the people of God, um, they sinned. Don't think you're beyond it. And then he said this to them in verse 13 of, of 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, but God is faithful 
who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with every temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So, a warning to Christians. Listen, learn from the examples in the Old Testament. And by the way, when that test temptation comes upon you, there's always a way out. God will provide a way out. So, right here in... Second uh, Chronicles 15, he's getting a warning here. And he just continues regarding the book of Judges, verse 6. So nation was destroyed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with um, every adversity. But you be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Praise the Lord. And he needed that. And unfortunately, there was going to be a time where he'd forget it. But at this time, he's probably like, are you kidding me? I will never forsake the Lord again. Anytime I hear the word never, ugh, gives me the creeps. When a Christian says, no, I'm never, I'll never, I will never leave the Lord. Oh, no, please don't say that. It's better just to say, by the grace of God, I'm going to continue to abide with him. Verse 8, and when Asa heard these words of the prophet Oded, the prophet, he took courage. So his initial response here is nothing short of phenomenal. He took courage and removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin, from the cities which he had taken in the mountains of Ephraim, and he restored the altar of the Lord that was before the vestibule of the Lord. Then he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those who dwelt with them from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon. For they came over to him in great numbers from Israel when they saw that the Lord God was with him. So they gathered together at Jerusalem in the third month in the 15th year of the reign of Asa. And they offered to the Lord at that time 700 bulls and 7,000 sheep from the spoil they had brought. And then they entered into a, a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers. And with all their heart and with all their soul and whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death whether small or great, whether man or woman. And so, this is really interesting stuff. Anytime a king of the southern two tribes, there's repentance in the land, there's revival in the land, it always seems to be the same response. Same thing with Jehoshaphat, same thing with Hezekiah. They leave and go into their cousin's land, their cousin's tribes, to the, the nation to the north. And at this time, they have two different kings, but they still go right into the land, and they share their faith. Again, really important. It says in verse 9, they went to Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon. These, these places are not even in their kingdom anymore. And they're going up there anyway, and a lot of people responded, and at this time, there's a lot of wickedness going on out there, and people start coming to Jerusalem. And so, you know, from time to time, you're sharing your faith, and, so, and someone will, you know, someone will rebuke you, and, and, and it, 
you know, what do you expect? But for the grace of God, we'd be unsaved, rebuking people, witnessing to us. But they'll say, hey, listen, I mean, that's fine that you have your faith, but what's not fine is when you try to push it on others, when you share it with others. Anyone ever heard that? Anyone here? Yeah, yeah. Can I give you one line to say? But you have, if they have to say it in, lo in love. But what I tell people is a faith not worth sharing is not a faith worth having. <laughs> you might as well have no faith. If you, if, if you don't want if you, if to... You, if, if you have a faith that you really don't want to go out and share with people, is it really worth you having it? Is it of any value? And so, please... Don't let that type of thing stop you. In the time of Hezekiah, Hezekiah does the same thing. It says they laughed at him. The tribes in the north, they just laughed. It's nothing new. We've been laughed at for many years, but there's others, as we find out during Saturday evangelism and other times where people share their faith, there's others who are absolutely, positively interested in hearing because of their guilt, their shame, and, and they're seeking God, and they want to know answers. A faith not worth sharing is a faith not worth having. I reflected myself on, on verses 12 and 13. They entered into a covenant of the Lord to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and all their soul. That's a good thing. Verse 13 says, though, and whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death. And um, I may be wrong about this, and please send me an email if I'm wrong. But I think they exceed the law of Moses here where they say someone should be put to death if they don't seek him. Now, there was plenty of capital punishment, meaning death penalties in the law of Moses for people who violated certain provisions of the law, but that I know of, and again, please, uh, Freddie, if you're looking at live stream from Washington, D.C., where you are, send me an email, or any, any of you in here, but I don't think there's a verse like that, and the reason I, I it just, it, it just, there's a little check in my spirit, but it may be Steve. It may not be the Holy Spirit. Is when you threaten the death penalty for not seeking the Lord, you put yourself in the danger of just everyone's just going to say yes, even though their hearts are not in it. And that's why I think, that's why I think there's nothing like that in the Mosaic Law. And I think this was, it was religious zeal, and I get it, and that type of thing. But you know, it's like prayer time at Calvary Chapel. We try to send out a note. We're having prayer. By the way, next week is a prayer night. And I like to send out a note that there's prayer night, because frankly, I would prefer if people didn't come if they really didn't want to pray. <laughs> and I've had many requests over the years to try to make different prayer times like the prayer before the church mandatory for the ministry team or the leadership and I've always 
I've always refused to do that because I, I just think prayer, seeking the Lord in prayer, is um, something that should be voluntary. And if it's and if if the Lord has people who are at prayer meetings who really don't want to be there or there just because they're required to go, I don't think he's going to enjoy it very much. So the, he actually threatens the death penalty here for someone who doesn't seek the Lord. And I don't know. It doesn't say the Lord told him to do that. It may have been just false religious zeal, but it, 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 it may be, have been something that's okay. I don't know. But send me that email if, if you want, if you can find something in Mosaic Law similar to that. Verse 14, Then they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting and trumpets and ram's horns. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath. For they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul. He was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. So you see, continuously the word seek 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 sought 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 this is like a genuine revival if you look at the in there was a revival at the time of josiah at the very end right before israel was invaded by the babylonians and they, they josiah went through all the law and his heart was tender before the lord but you don't see this kind of language of the people in general nothing like this so when Josiah went to the prophetess Huldah, and we'll see this eventually, and said, what's going to happen to our country? We've violated the law so bad, she said, it's going to be destroyed. <laughs> and most people who look at that revival at the time of Josiah, um, they say, well, it was in, the revival was really just a few people, including the king, but wasn't the people. It does not at all look like that here this looks like the real deal it says the whole land was rejoicing the whole land was um uh was, was seeking them with all their soul i am telling you that must have been a wonderful thing to behold also he removed maka the mother of asa the king So that's his mother. From being queen mother, because she had made an obscene image of Asherah, and Asa cut down her obscene image, then crushed and burned it in fire in the book Kidron. Jesus says this in Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. That's Luke 14, 26. And people, well, when they first read that, they're shocked that Jesus um, actually said that. But, um, you know, from time to time you'll hear an interpretation, well, someone's love for God has to be so much greater than their love for their wife or their mother that it's almost hate in comparison, and, and, and I, I really struggle with that interpretation because I've never seen um, God love anyone love God that much. What it means, in my opinion, where he says, and does not hate father, mother, wife, and children, brothers, 
it, what it means, it certainly doesn't mean to literally hate them because you have to take it in context and the rest of the Bible, we're clearly called to love our wives, our fathers and mothers, our children. But what it means is this very kind of thing here. It's, it, it's remove the idol. So if your kids have sports practice every Sunday morning and as a result you're never in church, your kids are an idol. You've got to remove the idol. Not the kids out of your life, but beh- behaving as if they're an idol. Sorry, you can't, you can't play this, this sport anymore. What, are you kidding me? I won't be cool anymore. I, I, I'll fall behind all the rest. Sorry, you know? It's, it's going to be an idol in my life if we're putting it before the Lord. That's what it means. It's when we put a husband or a wife, a child, or mother or father, we let something about them uh, dictate our, 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 our spiritual life in such a way that we depart from the clear will of God. And, so that, and, and this is a great, very easy illustration of that. It's just put the idol out of the way. So he put his actual his mother out of the way. But the high places were not removed from Israel, meaning the Ephraim in the north, the places that he went in the north, um, he didn't remove the high places. These were just places, these were hills that they went to and they worshipped either God, which they weren't supposed to do. Only in Jerusalem were they supposed to be offering sacrifices. And of course, you could go to any high place and just pray to him, but they were doing sacrifices, things like that. But in the high places, they were either worshiping the true Jehovah, the Lord, or the, to, to foreign gods. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was loyal all his days. He also brought into the house of God the things that his father had, um, had dedicated and that he himself had dedicated, silver and gold and utensils, and there was no war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. So towards the very end of his life. <clears throat> 